I'm not going mad, 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 I'm not going mad. Welcome to Gatekeeper. A podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Clam. Welcome to Gatekeeper, episode 17. Coming up, I've got a great conversation I had with Charlie Satello, who books all of the comedy for the annual South by Southwest Conference and Festival. Everyone knows about South by Southwest's music, but in the last decade, it's added film, interactive, and most recently comedy to its lineups. Charlie has been there since day one and has watched it become one of the most unique annual comedy gatherings, with a focus on great shows, not just showcasing individual talent. With the film and interactive components of the festival that are happening simultaneously, it's also become a breeding ground for collaborations, where comics are intermingling with filmmakers and digital companies. So with no further ado, let's just launch right into that conversation. Take it away. But Jamie, wait. What is it, producer Andrew? It seems like in all previous episodes, there's been a recurring theme of connection versus validation. Do you think you could expound on that more? (laughs) You're right, Andrew. That absolutely is one of the recurring themes over the past few episodes of the show. I mean, I didn't have anything planned for it. I mean, would you like me to talk about it even though I don't have anything prepared? I don't know what I'm supposed to say here. Just say yes. All right, cut this out. When most comics get their start, it's because they're funny or they think they're funny, or their friends think they're funny. So they go up and tell their funny jokes and hope that people will like their jokes and think they're funny and hopefully laugh. And when they do laugh, it feels so good because it validates that their jokes are funny and by extension that they are funny. And that validates their path as a performer and as a human being. And oh, they feel so, so good. But then they go up again and tell their jokes another time and people aren't laughing. Sometimes they're even booing or saying mean things from the audience. This hurts because that means their jokes aren't funny. And by extension, they aren't funny. And it's becoming clear that they've made terrible choices in their lives and the audience hates them. And it only goes to reason that the world hates them. And now they feel, oh, oh, so sad. With this dynamic of comedy as validation, one can only feel as good as their last set will allow them. It's why comics want to go up immediately after a bad set to redeem themselves. And it's why comics want to go up immediately after a killer set to get even more of that sweet, sweet validation. It's a vicious cycle and one that can persist through the entirety of one's comedy career. But as I've noticed, most of the great comics turn a corner at a certain point in their career when they realize that performing comedy isn't only about making people laugh. And it's not only about them. Comedy is a two-way street and it's all about connection. The best comedy, in my opinion anyway, comes from people that have a genuine interest in connecting with an audience on a deep level. From people that want to show their humanity in order to see the humanity of others. That doesn't mean I only like comedians that are political or observational or share their deepest secrets. Some of the weirdest, most absurd and irreverent comics are oftentimes the ones that can connect the deepest. Connection in comedy comes when comedians ask themselves, why should people care about what I'm saying? I know it seems obvious, but watching comedy seven nights a week, I can tell you that it's not always the case. The number one note I give young comics when I see them perform is to turn some of their I statements into you statements. Instead of saying, I work with a crazy guy named Cameron, first ask the audience if they've ever worked with a crazy person before. Because no one cares about Cameron, or you for that matter. As your career grows and your audience gets to know you, you are able to tell more personal anecdotes. Make it about the audience. Make it about connecting. 
The difference you'll see comes after you do a set. If you're doing stand-up for validation alone, to prove to strangers that you are funny, well, if they don't think you're funny, you have to ask yourself why the audience hates you and why the world hates you. When you do it for connection, if an audience isn't responding, you simply have to ask, what didn't connect tonight? And that's where editing and refining comes in. Yes, there is such thing as a shitty audience on occasion. And when that happens, you just gotta say, fuck it. But whether you kill or bomb, the only questions you need to ask yourself after a set is what connected and what didn't connect and work from there. There's no longer reason to take it personally. You're no longer craving attention, you're craving connection. We all know the cliche, it's funny because it's true. Well, speaking your authentic truth is the best and only way to connect. So, moving forward, no more, look how funny I am. Try out, look how funny we are. So does that answer your question, Andrew? Wow, Jamie. Thank you so much. You are wise beyond your years. Now, I have to hold myself to the same standard I expect from comedians. So let's take us out of here with a super funny bit that I've been working on. This is a live recording from my most recent set at Zoinker's Comedy Club in Temecula. So, uh, have you guys ever had a crazy coworker? <laughs> I have this coworker, Cameron, who says like the weirdest stuff. <laughs> it's like, Cameron, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> He's so crazy. It's like, put that stapler down. It's meant for stapling, <laughs> not whatever you're doing with it. <laughs> and Cameron, you can't call a lunch meeting at 3 p.m. That, my friends, is a snack meeting. <laughs> I have an eating disorder. <laughs> well, that's my time. Thank you, Zoinkers. I'll be back. Gatekeeper. Welcome to Gatekeeper. I'm joined by the gatekeeper of the South by Southwest Comedy Festival, and we'll be getting into that shortly. But first, I'm going to let you talk into the microphone and say hello. Hello. Mr. Charlie Satelho. Satelho. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, man. On Gatekeeper. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You, uh, you know, you uh, run and book the South by Southwest, the comedy part of the festival. Yeah. And you're in, here in Los Angeles right now, yeah. where you're staying to live for like a month or two? A month and a half, A yeah. month and a half, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah, totally. What, do, you, do you like LA or Austin better? Well, I mean, you know, they're all different. I love Austin. I'm going to live there, and I, I live there. That's where you're from. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this is a great town. It is. And town. comedy is ridiculous here. Right? I mean, Monday night, Tuesday night, Sunday night, you know, you go anywhere and there's... A- talk, talk about like, yeah, you're, you know, for coming from Austin, when you come to LA, what are the hot spots? Like, what are your favorite shows, your favorite venues? Well, I mean, I've been gravitating towards the improv and the store recently, but Good I answer. mean, there's so many, I mean, really, I've been yeah. here, I've been here or there almost every night. Um but, you know, there's so many great shows, uh, you know, the hot tub and the backyard shows. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, you know, the Wahoo fish taco show. And there's just, this town is lousy with fantastic comedy. Lousy with fantastic comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Every, you know, and then like uh, Maria Bamford drops in or, you know, Dave Chappelle drops in. It's just, it's stupid. Yeah. This place is crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. And more than ever right now. And I mean, it's interesting. One of the, the shows that uh, I brought here to the club in the last two years is Comedy Living Room, yeah. which, you know, it's a show that started in the living room. But the first time I ever saw it in a show based in LA was when I went to South by Southwest. Oh, really? Oh, I think that's good three years ago, wandering from like the main strip of uh, comedy shows to a, you know, desolate neighborhood outside of the outskirts of Austin and, you know, coming across the show in a backyard. 
with Byron Bowers and Gerard and God knows who else. But um, yeah. and so now that's become a staple here. But oh, that's let's, great. Let's dive into to Mr. Sotelo, shall we? <laughs> All right. Um, and I want—I mean, for those listening, we're going to get into uh, you know, festival booking and what makes South by Southwest uh, such a, a hub for comedy now. But before we do that, let's let's get to know the man behind the best. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you're from Austin. Yeah. Well, I've been there long enough. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, artistically, I mean, you know, the show with no name. So like talk Mm -hmm. about your, uh, your evolution into the world of arts. Well, I mean, I, uh, I, I started doing a TV show in the, in the nineties, did that for 10 years. It was, you know, pretty popular there in Austin. Um, I started promoting local shows, mostly film stuff around Mm -hmm. it, using that as a promotional tool. And, um, a couple of them kind of blew up really well. Um, the live shows. Yeah. Yeah. The live shows, a couple of them blew up kind of well. And, uh, I put together a, like a, a book for this peck and paw retrospective I did. And, um, Pauline kale came out of retirement to contribute to it. And it who's peck and paw and who's kale. Sam peck and paw is a fantastic film director, wild bunch. And just a, a bunch. Of, I knew uh, that by the way, oh, of course I love classic films like the wild bunch and other movies. He What's made. your favorite Sam peck and paw movie? I'm going to go with what the Wild like, Bunch. What are like your three favorites? Ben Peck and Paul Wild Bunch. I mean, the, his first movie, I mean, we're all, we all love his first movie. No, we really and, don't. Um, well, the first one that we loved. Right. Um, and then love, yeah, totally. I, I'm going to go with his, uh, his swan song. Uh, his, the, the final movie he made is no, just because it fully no. just captured who he was. It and really what doesn't. His, his life <laughs> worldview. No, it really doesn't. The Osterman weekend was terrible. But, oh, that was the last, yeah, that one was garbage. <laughs> garbage. So Sam Peck right, Well, he was a film director. <laughs> And, uh, what else did you ask about? So, but you were, you had a fascination with him. And so you, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I put together a Kuwasara, uh, a Kubrick and a Peck and Paw retrospective. And, you know, Pauline Kale was a, uh, uh, she wrote for the New Yorker. Um, she was a, a, a film writer of the highest caliber and she'd been retired for a few years. She had Parkinson's. She came out of retirement mm-hmm. to do this and, uh, the New Yorker reprinted the, the article, um, and it kind of, uh, you know, and then the guys at South by Southwest, Lewis Black, invited me to. Um, the Lewis Black. Well, to me, the Lewis Black, but not the comedian. Got it. Um, invited me to, you know, help run the film festival. And that got me started at South by Southwest. Awesome. And I think it's worth noting that we have a gigantic dog in the room whose name is Sam Peckinpah. Sam Peckinpahs. Paws. Is my with, with, with yeah. a W-S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As opposed to the great film director of The Wild Bunch and um, that shitty last movie made Straw up. Dogs he made, The oh. Getaway. Uh, classics. You're just naming classics. Okay. <laughs> and Kurosawa. I mean, now I'm going to let's, let's get away from film uh-huh. stuff that I don't know uh-huh. about. Um, uh-huh. So then that got you into South by Southwest and in what year? Oh, I think I started in 99. Okay. So um, going back. And so you were in the, in the film and was that like the early days of it? you know, evolving into other mediums? Well, I mean, film had started, I think in 94. Um, but you know, it takes years for those things to kind of build up. Mm -hmm. And when I started there, I was still having to tell people what South by Southwest was, that we have nothing to do with Southwest airlines. That (laughs) yes, there's a film festival. here. you don't No, no rapid Uh, rewards. That's not you. (laughs) Not me, man. Um, so yeah. And then it just kind of, uh, it blew up, you know, uh, Elvis Mitchell put us on the cover of the, of the New York times entertainment section section two years in a row. And that kind of legitimized us and yeah. from then on. It's just been growing and growing. And the film fest is now kind of one of the major film fests Absolutely. in the U S. And so at what point did um, comedy come into the fold there? Um, 
our first year was 2008. Um, you know, and we started it really with Scott Aukerman. Mm-hmm. Had it not been for him, there would be no South by Southwest comedy. How did he champion that? Well, I mean, you know, the, the origin story is kind of weird. There was a, a, a promoter, just like many people do at South by Southwest, try to do, um, they put together shows that are outside of the official South by Southwest program. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made a bunch of promises, some on South by's behalf that he had, you know, no right to make. And, and, uh, in the end it was kind of, um, you know, a cluster and, uh, and they, uh, just kind of reached out to us to try to find some way to make it right. And I was like, I'll do that. So we put together a fantastic night of comedy that first night. And then, uh, that first year, and then the second year we moved it, to, we made two nights and mm-hmm. the two venues and then, you know, just kept expanding it from there. Eventually moved out of the the uh, music festival uh, to the film and interactive festival where we are now. That's so awesome! And so you've you've been there since day one, watching this become what it has become. Yeah, we, I started. And so, what I mean, as opposed to other festivals that have comedy, what um would you say is the the, the goal for South by Southwest comedy? Is it about emerging talent? Is it about showcasing the best of what's to come? Like, what 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 if a comedian is asked to do it? What are, what are you hoping to get out of it? Well, I mean, it's, you know, our festival is very different than other festivals, you know? Um, I mean, JFL is the festival where the entire industry is going to be there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and at our fest, it's not, it's just, it's just, it's different. It's not like, uh, first of all, there's not really public, uh, coming to the festival. Everyone in the, in the, we don't sell tickets to our shows. So everyone in the theater has a badge and these badges are expensive and they're all industry, you know, of some sort. Uh, they're either film industry or music or some sort of tech TV, you know, so, or, or media, just a ton of media and bloggers and every, the entire internet, they're grumpy cats there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so, you know, the audience is crazy media savvy, comedy savvy, um, you know, and they're not going to be, know, they're just not going to be tricked by a lot of, you can't pass out flyers at that right. festival and expect it to work. You can't treat them like the public. Um, you know, so what ends up happening is our comedians end up hooking up with, you know, Judd Apatow or IFC or, you know, these, these entities that kind of are around our festival that, that just don't ever end up at any other fest because just of the nature of, of our festival. Yeah. It's so many tastemakers and it, that, um, you know, crossbreeding of, of like film and interactive, all these things. So what are some like the, the best success stories? Like you said, Apatow and. Oh, I mean, I I don't know. There's, there's, I mean, I hear about them all the time. Last night I was talking to a producer in your, at your bar downstairs and he was telling me that he, I I don't even remember. He's doing a, he's doing a tour with somebody sponsoring his tour because he met him at South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. He was just like, Hey man, I just realized, thank you for that. And I was like, you know, I got nothing to do with it. It's really all them. Like, I mean, people can come down to the festival. You can stay in your hotel room the whole time, you know, and that's going to be that where you can get out there and, you know, work it and you know, make something happen. But Pete Holmes did meet Judd Apatow there. And, you know, they're, I believe their HBO pilot is just about ready. Yeah. And, that's insane. Um, you know, comedians have, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty. I, I shouldn't, you know. Well, like what, um, I mean, t- talk about a t- typical comedy festival. Like what, what are you going to see? What type of shows? Is it all homegrown? And I know the answer to some fest, of these questions, but like, well, there's not a lot of like emerging talent, uh, you know, again, it's different. Like, you know, JFL kind of introduces comedians to the, uh, to the comedy industry, mm-hmm. you know, and our festival kind of introduces comedians to, um, the public or, you know, kind of the media, I guess. 
So we're pretty much, um, you know, our bread and butter are probably the comedians who are super hot in the industry, mm -hmm. you know, or super talented and, um, you know, are just kind of ready for the next step. So for comedians that want to get in, I mean, try to be popular and be very talented, <laughs> um, which be, is be super talented and super hot. <laughs> but as far as getting into your festival, I mean, I think obviously being on your radar is, is the most important thing. Is it a type of festival where someone can cold submit and possibly get it? Or is there got to be some buzz? I mean, there pretty much has to be buzz every now and then, you know, there's uh, pretty much every year we'll take somebody who, um, you know, is, is under the radar, even under the industry's radar, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, but they're just, they're off the charts in some way, you know, and some of those people, like, you know, our first year we had, um, our first year we had Janine Garofalo and, um, and we put Tignataro and it was all one lineup, like all one night. Right. So we put Tignataro kind of near her. And after that festival, people left, they come to see Janine and they leave talking about, you know, who's that girl that had the joke with little titties, got little titties. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's Tignataro. And the next year, same thing. And then, um, could, you probably, you probably feel the same way when, when you introduce a new comedian to people. And they, you know, they leave buzzing about them. That's the greatest feeling in the world. That's, I think, why we do it. I mean, I, to, to me, and that's, you know, it comes down to curation. Um, you know, it's when you can create a show or in your case, a festival that people are coming because they trust the name. It gives you more freedom to, you know, it's obviously in this town, you need ideally to have a, a you know, a, a famous comedian to sell tickets. But it is like on a Saturday night here now, like you come to see maybe Dane cook, but you're going to leave saying I saw Steve Simone or yeah. um, any number of other people It's yeah. the best feeling. Uh, it really is. I mean, you know, um, again, Earl, you know, uh, that happened again and again with us, it, with Kyle Kinane and Hannibal Burris and, and uh, you know, Pete Davidson and Gerard and, you know, like those are the, you know, the, those are, but, but, but again, like, you know, we had, you know, like a lot of these people very, very early on in their careers you know, Cameron Esposito and, um, uh, Lisa Traeger last year was our, you know, our super young comedian mm -hmm. or maybe a couple of years ago now, I forget. Um, and you know, so every year we, we do, we have one or two like that, but I mean, submitting isn't really gonna, as we do accept submissions, but we're, it's so rare that we pick anything out that I kind of would like to stop doing it. So you're, you're curating, the shows. I mean, is there even a, a place to submit if you went to like the South by Southwest? There is. You can submit to the music festival at this point. But as I, a comedian or as a yeah, show? Yeah, as a comedian. As okay. a comedian. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. I'm starting to feel like it's not fair because we just don't really take many from there. It has put a couple of comedians on our radar mm -hmm. and that's that's nice. But I mean, you know, you know, I mean, uh, I'm out here watching comedy all the time and it's I, I, you're not going to see anybody that I haven't. I'm not going to see anybody I haven't heard of before. I'm like, oh, I need that person on. Right. Like, that's probably not going to happen you know, um, it'll take a year or two, mm -hmm. you know, any comedian that's been doing it two or three or four years. There is, there's so many eyes on everyone now. And, you know, people ask me all the time, like, are you looking for that next, you know, new star? And it's like, for the most part, and although we are trying to do more development here, for the most part, there will be a groundswell and I'm going to hear about someone, yeah. but even if they're coming from New York or Austin or anywhere else, like whether it's, you know, the industry or just, uh, you know, TJ Miller or someone hitting me like, you have to see this kid that I've yeah. been watching in Austin, whoever it is. Right, right, right. And I'm sure it's the same with you. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly like, you know, you're not, you're looking for emerging talent. You're waiting for them to get ready, mm -hmm. to be ready. You know, I mean, you can tell the special ones kind of right away. Mm -hmm. um, and then you see them a year or two later, you're like, oh, there it is.
they yeah. cut together. And it's really exciting. So what do you personally look for? What do you, what do you like? Uh, you know, like the older you get, the more your tastes kind of relax. Mm-hmm. You know, you can appreciate what's uh, just anything special. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It doesn't have to be in my taste range. Just anything that's, you know, a, 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 and a, a great voice, you know, um, fantastic writing, off the charts, charisma, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it goes there, back to that undeniability of like, you have something to say and it's authentic and, and, you know, it's coming from a real place, but so, yeah, I'm you know, standing out by doing something different. Well, or just being, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to quantify just being special, you know, just you're here, here folks first folks, be more special, folks, be more special. Jesus. It's not that hard. <laughs> Try to be born special <laughs> if you can. That's the, um, well, and even, I mean, in prepping for this interview, you, you, you sent me a few great ideas. I mean, tell me, you know, what are the things that you see that performers you feel do right or wrong in their approach to either getting into the festival or even being at the festival and maybe uh, acting in a way that, you know, builds curry with you or pisses you off? Man, I should have thought about it before. <laughs> before. This is your question. I, well, I mean, you just asked what I want to talk about. I just kind of put a... Uh... <laughs> gave you a range of things and I didn't really revisit it. Um, you know, I mean, I've heard a couple of episodes of the podcast of your podcast and, um, you know, you know, it was weird. The entitlement thing that you've been talking about. I, I really don't, I don't really get that too, too much. Okay. Um, you know, every now and then you get somebody who's been doing comedy 10 years and they've, you know, they've got a, they were, they were on live at Gotham or they did Conan or, you know, that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm it seems like they're like, Hey, I'll do your festival. And like, you know, okay. You know, there's, those guys have 200 comedians a year, you know, and we've got, you know, our lineup, we, we like 80. Right. And of those 80, 30 of them are improvisers, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, so your numbers are super small, super small. Yeah. But you, you don't feel like, um, you're experiencing the entitlement in the same way just because you're probably dealing with just far less people. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it, it happens. I mean, when people find out who you are when you're mm-hmm. at the improv or the store or wherever out and like, uh-huh. that's the guy that books South by Southwest. Do you feel, um, all eyes are on you or that people are coming up and kind of trying to sweet talk you or. I mean, yeah. I mean, people are generally nice to you <laughs> just cause they're going to be anyway, but uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't get like the next step where people are like, you know, Hey, I'd really like to do your festival. And that's the most they'll ever do, mm-hmm. you know, is, is, is that, but no one's really ever, I think everyone kind of gets, knows the score on that. Mm-hmm. I think maybe, maybe I'm just not understanding what's happening, you know, I, I mean, being nice to me. And I just think, you know, this is a, a worth conversation worth having. I totally forgot about this, but, um, like a couple years ago, do you remember this? I don't know if you even know what I'm talking about, but I saw you at the, the comedy store. And I've been producing my band jam show, which is like a live show I've been doing here with the live band and all this stuff. And it's the best show of all time. It's be great for your festival. Everyone says um, that. But, um, you know, and I approached you and it was, a, a, you know, as a, you know, the booker of this club, you know, and a quote unquote gatekeeper here to approach another gatekeeper um, about, I was like, we should do van jam at South by Southwest. And it was, you know, being on the other side of the equation and, you know, and it was putting you on the spot. What did I say to you? What did you say? Um, Basically, chances are slim. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, right now, like, and you were there, I think, scouting the the roast battle, which was arguably and still is arguably one of the hottest shows in LA. Yeah. And it was just interesting to be on the other side of it, and immediately 
feeling like how other people feel when they approach me for a spot. Um, but you know, and hearing like your, uh, you know, I would even say your spiel, but like, this is what you have to say when someone approaches you and you have very few spots. It was just an interesting moment for me just being on the other side of it where, you know, you know, I still have the mind of a comedian where I have an ego as well. And, you know, the initial reaction is going to be that entitlement. Like I, I was, I felt entitled in that moment. Like, well, I'm in the book club and I got this great show. Why wouldn't anyone want it? And so, uh, that's just, it was a formative moment for me really, as a oh, booker oh, damn. of being on the other side of it. And I think every booker, um, it, it's a good thing to, to understand. And part of the reason I created this podcast was, was to, to show and illustrate what it's like on both sides of it. Well, you've been doing this five years. I've been here five and a half years at the Improvia. How much do you feel like, I mean, you know, saying no, just, uh, just a few days ago, just last week, I met a comedian at the store and, and, and she was great. Uh, you know, I was like, who, who are you? What's your name? Where, you, you know, where are you from? How long have you been doing comedy? Um, and, uh, and then she asked to do the festival and, you know, I told her something similar. It's like, mm -hmm. well, it's really doubtful. Uh -huh. She goes, well, how about, you know, maybe the year after that? And I was like, eh. you know, and just kind of, I think the way I, I talked about it, I felt like I could have done that better, you know, and I'm 10 years into this. Um, no, I mean, you, you're, you get better at, at explaining it more and more. Uh, anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that up as a, just, I don't know. I, I mean, do you still feel like you're getting your feet in this? You know, are you, you know, I mean, cause no one, you don't know anything when you start, like you, you really, no. you don't know, you don't know half the comedians, you don't know, you know, you have weird ideas about what's, you know, how to, how to book what you're booking. Yeah. Um, you know, and all that kind of starts to settle down or maybe never does, but I don't know if it ever fully does. Do you feel that you No. Yeah. And I think just because comedy is evolving so quickly and also, I mean, I think the number of comedians and, and comedy writers and people in this world is growing exponentially. Like, you know, even five and a half years ago, I feel like there was, you know, a couple hundred great comics. Don't quote me on these numbers. Whereas now, like I get avails from 500 plus comics every oh, week. No, there's, there are hundreds and hundreds of talented comics. I mean, you know, yeah. I have to say no, or at least avoid the question about whether or not they can come to the festival with so many really talented people. Yeah. You know, and I'm friends with half of them. You know, that's the other part, hard part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. How do but, you, but, but I mean, you, you just, you, you can't, you can't, you, you can't approach it. Like friendship has zero to do with it. Like, you know, you gotta be uh, the way that you hope a judge would be mm -hmm. about it. Just entirely 100% impartial. Um, if you can, yeah, you know, and it has to be about what's right for the show, for the festival, mm -hmm. you know, or, or, and then also, you know, if you put somebody up too early, um, you know, like, uh, like at, you know, at, at, at a JFL new faces, for instance, you know, if somebody gets up too early, then the whole industry sees them and they're Absolutely. like, you know, I know who that person is. And then for three, four, five years, they, that's the picture they have of somebody, you know, and when somebody's three, four, five, six, seven years in two or three years is a world that can be a world of difference. Absolutely. You know, and, and you go home thinking you're going to remember the top two or three people on that showcase. You go home um, thinking, you know, who that person is. And then when they come up in conversation a year or two or three later, uh, you know, for, to get booked on whatever that person's booking, you, you're still going to think back on, you know, them not doing that yes. well, 
And it's a real shame because there's some fantastic comedians who just kind of get exposure a little bit too early. But then again, you know, when they go back home, what, even if it's to New York or LA, it still really helps them to have had new faces. So they end up getting better shows for the yeah. next year or two. So it's probably a push as far as, you know, yeah, I, I, gain goes, but, but I mean, that is, that is the real, I think that is such a, an important thing that I don't think has come up that often on this podcast yet, but it's that overexposure too early and you know, you get one shot a lot of times, or I mean, I, mean, I firmly believe if you keep working hard, like you'll, you'll be fine. But when I get to see like, you know, just a handful of people showcase every year, I'm going to remember if you, you know, shit the bed or just didn't connect in a way because right. you weren't quite ready yet. Right. You know, and also it's a nerve wracking thing to be back there and, you know, you've got some famous comedian doing the, you know, hosting the show and you know, all the industries out there and that puts a lot of pressure on, you know, comedians feel a lot of pressure for stuff like that. Yeah. And, and even having a couple more years of just doing shows and doing bigger shows and being comfortable knowing, you know, it's still like, you know, it wouldn't, one of my actually favorite things, maybe you've experienced this too, that I've never really talked about, but, um, what's the best example? Who was it? Oh, it was last week. Adam Sandler was here, dropped in for a show, and yeah, on stage that. was um. Ugh, she's gonna kill me. Her, her name is uh, escaping me, but great young comic that I, I actually hadn't even seen before in the lab. And Adam leaned over and was like, "This girl is great." And um, and then even went on stage and said it. But getting to tell her after I was like, Adam was like, "This girl's like really good." Oh, that's cool. Anyway, um, point being, comics, if you're listening, make sure you're ready before, especially if you're <laughs> if you're bugging Charlie about doing South by Southwest because he has very few spots. No, listen, man. I mean, any comic thinks anyone worth their salt thinks that they've got something good going on. And they generally, I mean, you know, if you're good, you generally do people who are good know that they're good generally. Uh, you know, but then you ask that same comic five years later and they'll go, Oh yeah. So wasn't ready back then. So, you know, you're supposed to think what you're doing is, is yeah. And right, well, I guess just think the right the, path. you know, comics in general have a cockiness to get on stage and do what they do. Um, so they're going to have that, but yeah, you're right. Cause you really don't find your voice. Also, it sucks to be poor for, you know, five, 10, 15 years struggling doing comedy. You know, you want to get onto the bigger show right now. Always. That's, uh, that's our plight. Um, so what, I mean, you know, the, the value of doing a festival, like what, what how would you, Oh man, no, it's, it's everything. It's like, you know, it kind of, it, it somehow, it makes you part of the community. Mm -hmm. You know, any comedian who's done JFL, they're kind of in, you know, like, 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 uh, you know, I, I mean, you can, even if it's a comedian you've never heard of, you say, Hey, I want you to meet, uh, you know, Cody Husek. He did JFL a couple, he did New Faces a couple of years ago. You're like, Oh, you'll take him seriously as a comic, you know, or if you just see somebody it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I, I saw, even if you're just industry or whoever you are, I saw you at, uh, at the New York comedy fest. So we mm -hmm. saw each other at South by Southwest. It kind of makes you part of the greater community and, yes. and you meet people, you make, you, you, you make friendships that, that last, you know, your entire career. Um, that know. is it is so true. I, I think, you know, young comics, I mean, wait till you're ready, but, and have some money, but you know, going out to Montreal or Austin and just, you know, there's something about seeing, even seeing the people you see at shows around LA Absolutely. when you're in a different city yeah. and you're experiencing the same shows and, and that does, it makes it more of a family. And, and even small festivals, I, I'd say, you know, I, I would, if I was a comic, I would do every festival I could. I'd go to this uh, Big Sky comedy competition in Montana oh, yeah, that's every great. year. It's a great competition. And, you know, first of all, they, they, they get some fantastic young comedians out there, like mostly like 
three, four, five, six, seven years in, mm-hmm. um, fantastic comedians, uh, you know, who end up sticking around. And, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like a little summer camp, you know, uh, you, you uh, I've got friends I've met there for the past four years and, you know, I, I, you know, them forever now. Yeah. And, and you feel kind of bonded from that experience. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's crazy how just being in the same town, being in physical proximity to someone and shaking their hand and saying, hi, I'm whoever, and, mm-hmm. you know, share a drink and have a couple of jokes together, how that literally makes it, you know, easy to just pick up the phone or send off an email and be taken seriously. And it's, it's, it shouldn't have that much, uh, impact, but it does. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, the comedy as, as many comics that we just said there are, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds, like it still is a very small world and, you know, getting to the point where you can, you know, get into a a comedy festival or one of these contests, um, that's in a different city could be great for your career. And you get to meet folks like Charlie Sotelo. Well, I mean, just, and just meeting other comedians, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's so many comedians that think of other comedians as rivals or as competition. But, you know, they're potential collaborators. Absolutely. You know, these are all, you know, comedians working together and playing together and doing projects together. That's, that keeps you in the game. It keeps Mm -hmm. you um, active and you never know what else will come of it. Because I mean, you know, let's face it, there's not, no one gets into stand-up comedy for the cash. You know, there's very few people making a real living just doing Mm stand-up. You know, most, um, most talented stand-ups probably, if they stay in comedy, end up doing something that's not actually stand-up comedy. Right. You know, they'll end up, you know, with a podcast about gatekeeping. Yeah. You know, but comedy comedians perform comedy and those that want to make podcasts about gatekeeping as the old saying goes, well, you know, I think it was like, like Peckinpah said that. <laughs> Sam Peckinpah said that. Um, you know, you look at like so many of the people in comedy, you know, there's like, there's, there's, some of the people in comedy are just fantastic and really get it. You know, uh, uh, JP Buck and, and, and Eric Abrams and Baldinger and, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, Bart Coleman. And there's a ton of them, mm-hmm. you know, and like, uh, Dan Pasternak and, and like a lot of them, you realize they were ex comics, you know, or at least they're funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea where I was going with that. No, I, I think if you look at all, a lot of these gatekeepers now that they, they did, start um as fans first and as performers first and part of that community and that's what allows you to um you know curate the things that you love is 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 oftentimes being friends with the people you want to book and you know also have trust in their taste as well and and you know getting hip to a lot of what's happening from them i mean you know you i I think in a way you kind of have to put in your ten thousand hours whether it's on stage or just obsessing about it yeah you know um so common performer misconceptions, another you know, when, Charlie Satello. Yeah, I know. But when you, when you, when you introduce it, like, <laughs> like there's a whole segment about it. Yeah. Welcome to the new segment of the show on gatekeeper. This one's called common performer misconceptions. Go. I, th- I think we've already <laughs> talked about a couple just, you know, um, I, I, I don't know, you know, the idea of, uh, uh, you know, how, somebody thinks they're ready three years in in this in, in standup three years is is nothing you're mm-hmm. you haven't even started till you're at least five six seven years in i mean unless you're phenomenally talented mm-hmm. and even then 
you know, you're still going to be sleeping on couches for three or four or five years. I feel like, I mean, folks like Pete Davidson come to mind. Yeah. Even Gerard, who mm-hmm. have shown that there there is a path where you can, you know, do it. And even they've been doing it for several years, but like right, four or five years. But um, you know, they're so young, so I think that does create this expectation that it's possible and sometimes even maybe probable that that Sam Peck and pause that you just heard. I think you caught a fly. Not awesome. to say that there's flies in the improv. Cause no, 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 no. We're a fly free facility. Well, now you are. It's F the triple F fly free facility. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we got our sample approval yesterday, actually by the, uh, let's continue. This is the most fun I've had on this podcast so far, but also possibly the greatest train wreck. Speaking of train wrecks, South by Southwest, that's a train company, right? It is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, you know, going back to, you know, you know, you're friends with so many comedians and when you have so few spots, I'm, I'm wondering if, if sometimes when you walk into a room like, like I do, you know, I, I look around and see 15 people. I'm like, oh my God. I told that person I was going to book them and I haven't booked them in a year. Yeah, that um, Oh shit. I love this person. I, I haven't booked them in two years and oh my God, I haven't emailed this person back. Is that mm-hmm. sometimes? Oh man. Experience? I mean, in the month or two or three before the festival, you get, you get so many emails that you like one person can't physically respond to all the emails, mm-hmm. you know, and you try to, and you know, two or three weeks later, and sometimes it feels like two or three weeks and it turns out it's only two or three days. You're like, Oh great. But, you know, weeks and weeks later, you realize, oh, I did not get back to that person. And, and then so often you just forget. And then, yeah. you know, you see somebody at the end of the barn. It's like, why are they glaring at me? You know, and then, you know, I mean, it's sometimes a year or two later, you look back and you're like, oh, my last interaction was an unreturned email. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know what to do about that. There's nothing you can do. And I think that's, again, like another reason. I started this is so comics and artists just understand that, you know, sometimes it's, it's really nothing personal. It's like, Oh, it's so not personal. It's, and it's people we love. And I'm like, shit. Yeah. I haven't returned an email. Yeah. People you love. Yeah. And like, I love them as a person and as a, as a, an artist, as a comedian, like it just, you know, especially with, with this number of comedians growing, it's like, you can't, you just can't do it. And people are gonna get lost in the mix. And, and sometimes I, you know, I tell people too, it's like, if it has been a year or two, like don't lose hope or lose faith. Um, you know, sometimes the best comedians are, are the least, the ones that you want to be a little bit more proactive, you know, cause it's, you know, a lot of times it's the, the least talented ones that are the most aggressive, but you're like, you're one of the few people, you know, every six months, you know, sent a gen- gentle reminder. It's fine. Like, I don't tell that to everybody. Uh, you know, uh, I've thought a lot about this because early on at South by Southwest, we got a lot of just a lot of emails from, you know, media comedians and some that were all right, but just not really our flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were um, aggressive about emailing. And 10 years later, a couple of those guys are now, you know, well-known comedians. Um, most aren't, mm-hmm. but a couple are. Um and in the end, that's the kind of thing, like, I mean, listen, man, that, that you kind of need to do that. Uh, I, I was just talking to a friend of mine who's a really talented comedian, uh, did JFL a couple of years ago and, uh, he's out here now mm-hmm. and, you know, staying at home with his girlfriend most of the time, you know, wondering why everyone's not knocking on his door. He's great. He mm-hmm. is great. Um, you know, but, uh, but that's just not enough. Yeah. You have, you have to, you have to get out there. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, you just have to 
be out there, be out doing comedy all the time. And it helps to hang out and to meet other people and to socialize and all that stuff really matters. Yeah. And some people are better at than others. Um, where should we go now? Well, you know, I was just kind of reflecting, like you were saying, you know, like, listen, there's, there's not much you can do to, to get on, you know, certain lineups, but, um, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, we try to book people who have good energy. Um, and I mean, just personal, I'm, I'm not even talking yeah, yeah. about, I'm talking about on stage, just, you know, if you're bringing a bad vibe, you know, to, to, to the backstage, um, I'm probably not going to want you back. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're sequestering and if you're just, if just you're starting shit, you know, that's just not something we need there. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trying to do a little, you know, hippie commune for that one week. Um, you know, so people who are great, like, um, you know, Todd Glass and, uh, uh, you know, like Nate Bargetsy and Gerard and Sean Patton and, you know, people like that who just, who just are a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, you value that over, you know, those that aren't. Absolutely. Are. I mean, you can't state that enough that, you know, if you get to a certain level of talent, that's so undeniable, you'll tolerate it maybe every once right. in a while. Right. But at the end of the day, like, you know, when I'm looking to book someone for a show, I will 100% of the time go with the person that at the, at the same talent level and is cool as fuck, you know, like, yeah. And that goes for obviously festivals and everything else. Be nice and cool as fuck. That's one of my mantras for the show. It's like, um, it, that goes so much farther. And it is, I mean, you have to be supremely talented and funny to make it, but, um, you can slide by a little bit easier if you're also cool and, you know, people want to hang out with you. And if you're that comic again, like, you know, you might be a little bit quite not as quite as funny as the other, other guy or girl, but that, that headliner is going to take you on the road because they want to right. hang out with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're booking a festival, I'm sure you're looking at it too. Like this is, you know, you work hard all year for this. How long is it a week? Or well, it's, it's 10 day festival. Yeah. 10 for this 10 days. Our part of it is largely four or five days. And then, uh, we have a very light schedule during music because, you know, music is music at South by Southwest. It's just mayhem. That, right. that part of the week. But you want to have people at your festival that you're working your ass off on that you want to be around. Absolutely. And that just aren't ruining the vibe for everybody else, mm -hmm. you know, or keeping it to where, you know, you want, ideally you'd hope that everyone goes home, you know, thinking how great that week was, you know, when you get the texts and emails saying, you know, Hey, comedy feels special again, you know, things like that. That's, that's, that's everything. What is, could you distill down like one or two of your favorite moments in the festival last few years? Huh. Whether that's just a show that was just so amazing or, or I mean, it's, it's every, every year is, ends up kind of being a blur. We've been taping these shows for uh showtime and airing them, um, you know, after the fest these past couple of years. Um, the next one should be in, uh, July, mm -hmm. hopefully uh natasha hosted um so those have been great stuff like you know we've you know we have good high profile drop-ins um sin bad the past couple of years oh, and cool. i mean that's somebody that you know you, nobody expects you, you never expect Sinbad. you never expect Sinbad. <laughs> he disappears like a genie out of and then murders murders the room you know and that's, that's so stuff like that's yeah. really cool and and uh i don't know if you would chalk this up i mean and 
I was there, I've been there once, I think three years ago, but it was an epic moment at the time and still an epic moment, but Cosby. Yeah. And I'll never forget because I've seen Cosby. The last time you could have Cosby. <laughs> the last time you could have him, the last time you could enjoy him. Uh-huh. And it was, I remember being a little bit in the ether, like the, there's a little bit it of talk. It just started coming out. But also remembering hanging out with Hannibal uh-huh. in, you know, after that show, uh-huh. who would later obviously be the whistleblower. Uh-huh. Instrumental in the, <laughs> in the demise. But so just having that as, as a memory of like, oh, that was a crazy night. Yeah. yeah. Um, I helped get Sinbad into that show. <laughs> you helped Sinbad get into the show? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God bless it. So uh, what is like throughout the year, what does it look like as far as, as a job for you to, to book this festival? What, what's the day to day? Well, I mean, you know, it, it's always evolving, but like these past couple of years, you know, the months after the festival, you know, it's, uh, it's of course pretty light. It's, it's kind of like, you know, a, a summer break. Um, but, but that's when we've been, uh, editing the showtime stuff and, right. and put that to bed around this time of year and then kind of just start up with the festival circuit again. Um, you know, again, not, not to talk about JFL over and over, but I'm gonna, um, you know, that pretty much starts the season for me. You just mm-hmm. start going to festival after festival. And again, just kind of out there looking for, I mean, uh, you know, people ask if I'm scouting and I mean, I guess I kind of am, but really I'm just, I'm just out there seeing as much comedy as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my continuing legal education <laughs> in comedy and, uh, legal education. Well, you know, just the continuing, continuing the 10,000 hours, trying to get to my 20,000 hours. Yeah. Uh, what happens at 20,000 hours? Yeah. I don't know. You take, you know, the thing is, is like, like you, you watch any comedian that's been doing it for 30, 40 years, 30 plus years. Uh, you, you become a master at it. Uh, watching, uh, 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 Stephen Wright a few years ago, just kind of, you know, watching what he's doing with his timing and just how he's you know, controlling the audience and getting them to kind of lean forward and lean forward. And then he, he'll, you know, he'll release and they all just fall and stuff like that. Like, man, look at that. Like, like what, what he's doing is it's invisible to the audience. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sitting there realizing, man, I bet he's, I bet there's all kinds of stuff happening. That's just invisible to me that I, I can't, cause I haven't been doing stand up for 30 years, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, you know, even comedians who are, you know, maligned in their youth, like, uh, like carrot top, you know, you watch him now, that's a professional comedian, man. You know, I mean, he's, he's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's what happens at 20,000 hours is, is you overcome your, your, your baseline. Well, I mean, you, you really do. You overcome your baseline talent. There's plenty of comedians who, you know, right from the beginning, you can tell all oh, that guy's special and that, you know, or there's just, just regular old comedians, but sometimes the ones that just keep working and just keep honing it and figuring it out, mm-hmm. you know, work goes, uh, further than talent. Yeah. And that brings up an interesting thing is, is, you know, being on the other side, watching shows. I mean, let me ask you this. Do you, do you laugh a lot? While Still? I'm watching stand up, Um, not much. If it's a famous comedian, I'll do, but otherwise I'm in my head too much. I'm just, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I'm just in my head. I'm thinking about it, dissecting it and just thinking too much. This is the first time that I think this has come up on the show, but like, you know, especially now that I'm trying to build more development shows for young comics, yeah. you know, sometimes when I'm sitting watching a show and it's a packed room and it's these up and comers, I can feel all eyes on me because, you know, I'm sitting in the back yeah. corner and it's like, that's the booker. That's the guy we want to impress. Yeah. And I don't laugh a lot. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, there has to be so much authenticity. Like I think our, our ability to detect, um, whether it's just, you know, going through the motions or forcing it or just not having the voice yet is, is, is you know, 
pretty honed at this point. So I laugh obviously in authentic moments. Um, if someone is, but like, I know someone's funny if I laugh at this point. Yeah. I mean, Jay Okerson in, in your main room a couple nights ago, you know, watching, I mean, I've seen him in over and over and over and over again, but you know, that got me actually laughing. Mm -hmm. I saw Jim Norton last night, you know, that got me actually laughing. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, mostly I'm just kind of like, I mean, Gerard, I mean, I was watching him and like, I'm not laughing. I'm just like going, mother, look at that guy. Yeah. Look at what he's doing. You see, that's one guy who's supremely talented and straight up off the charts charisma. Mm -hmm. Um, like you could tell that guy's a star from, from the first time you see him. Um, but he's still working and he's still, he's still like, he's still, you know, moving his whole art forward. And, um, so, I mean, I'm just sitting there marveling at like, look, look at what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Not laughing at all, but it was, I mean, it's hilarious. You had a whole Beyonce bit, like four (laughs) days after the album came out, you know, and, and I saw him was a couple few days, a few nights ago he was here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's developed into a whole chunk. Totally. That's fantastic. So Charlie, if you're a young comic or producer Uh living in somewhere that's not even Austin, would you have any advice on, um, you know, how to start a festival, the the things you've learned that you think, um, from a a grassroots level would help, uh, someone start something up in their town? I mean, in my case, you know, I have the unfair advantage of the biggest festival (laughs) being involved with the biggest festival that there is. So, you know, but, uh, just like anything else, just, just start doing stuff and just, just find a way to make it happen. Nobody knows how to do anything. When you start, you just, you figure it out. You call people that you know and ask for help and ask for advice. And generally when you ask for advice and if someone actually helps you, they're now invested in seeing you succeed. You know, that they don't want, they don't want the guy that they helped out to fail. Um, you know, and then they take ownership in it. They feel a sense of pride and, you know, um, just just start doing it find a way to do it and figure it out you're probably not going to make money for a little while but that probably shouldn't be why you're doing it totally you know i think that's that's i mean that's with everything that's with everything yeah same thing with stand-up like you can't do it to be famous you got to do it because you got you have to do it right and you just you're driven to do it and you can't you know you're going to do it whether you make money or not whether there's people there or not whether there's zero audience memory whether you're just performing to comedians at an open mic, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, you do it because you have to do it. Right. And I mean, even since 2008, comedy has evolved, evolved tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. And every year, you know, the next level, you know, and seeing podcasts and and what's happened with that world expanding, like what, if you have any ideas for the future, do you see anything exciting on the, on the precipice? Well, I don't know, but podcasting is, it's really interesting what's happening. There's a couple of shows in Austin, you know, and, um, just small shows. Like, I mean, kind of out of the way shows near campus, but Mm -hmm. still, and you know, I've noticed in the past couple of years, people kind of come in and they're, they sit in their seats and they're kind of ready to watch the show and they're not talking to each other. And then once the comedy starts, they're just looking forward, leaning forward, laughing and, and entirely engaged. You know, and they, after the show, they're all talking about it. It's like, what's happening here? You know, how come people aren't coming out just to hang with their friends and drink? They're Mm -hmm. here to actually watch the comedy. So I started asking, just like doing straw polls and just kind of hanging out with people afterwards and saying, why are you here? Do you come to comedy shows often? 
you know, and often the answer is like, no, not really, but I listen to this podcast or listen to that mm. podcast. And it seems that podcasts are kind of training people how to just teaching people more about comedy, yeah. you know, pulling the curtain back and, you know, um, uh, you know, not as many people think that they're making it up as they go along. Not, you know, people just understand what a comedian has to go through. I don't know about you. I mean, I've hung out with comedians my whole adult life, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, and it gives you a different perspective on the show or whatever is happening on stage. Uh, and it seems that the public is getting that more and more. Everyone comes with just a better understanding yeah. about one, how to watch comedy, but also what they're watching and just where they are. Yeah. And people are, are not just going to a comedy show, right? They're going to see, oftentimes they know even the not as famous people because it's, they were a guest on a podcast. I mean, they're literally not, they're not going out to see, they don't even know who's on the lineup. They're just going out to see the comedy show. Oh, they are. Um, you know, which is usually death for right, a comedy right. show, right? When they're just here to see whatever comedian, they don't care or know who you are. Um, but it just, it just, it's got a different feel now, at least in, you know, those few cases, but it feels like that's happening kind of all over the place. And another question that came, comes to mind, like as a producer of this festival, I know, you know, what drives me absolutely insane sometimes. And, you know, working at the club where you might get rowdy audiences and, uh, you know, people talking and like how much, um, at a, in a festival atmosphere where sometimes, you know, there's outside shows, you know, um, when you're watching a show and, and people aren't necessarily paying attention or do you, do you, are you as crazy as I am? Yeah. Oh man, it kills me. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got, we had a, we had a show a few years ago. <sighs> I mean, I'm going to get angry just talking about mm -hmm. it, but, but you know, there, it was at a, it was at a venue where, um, you know, it was a sponsored venue and it was to the sponsor. That's more like, this is our party house. Right. You know? And it's like, no, 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 no. We're doing a comedy show here. <laughs> we have to respect comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they just had circumstances that weren't conducive to a good comedy show. But you know, I'm like, I myself am walking around the room kind of shushing people going, Hey, can we, you know, it's a show. Right. And you know, I'd get, well, we're not talking that loud. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's zero talking. There's no there's talking. Right there's not there. even quiet talking here. <laughs> there's no talking here. Yeah. There, there's somebody talking there with the mic. You don't talk. And um, yeah, that kills me, man. I mean, stuff like that. I, I mean, I just, I go crazy with that. Uh, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I invited Todd Glass to the festival and said, hey, I want you to kind of like, you can you just kind of troubleshoot our festival and let us know what's, you know, I, you know, I just wanted his take because he's got a good keen eye. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> the lights would be entirely off if you, if you were to, oh, yeah. to, to, uh, to follow Todd's model. But, um, but I mean, man, he's got, he, you know, he understands what, what, um, you know, the conditions that are, that, that make comedy or allow comedy to do well, you know? And, uh, no, and Todd, I mean, when Todd comes into our main room, our lab, he becomes the shusher. Do you feel, I mean, yeah. and I have a, such a, a, a weird relationship with it because, a, you know, as the book of the club, I don't want to, it, I sometimes feel it puts me in a compromising position where I don't want to also be the taskmaster to the the comedians that are being booked. So sometimes the comedians are in the back and sometimes the comedians could be the, the worst uh, yeah, totally. offenders yeah, of anyone, totally. which is crazy. Because they're over the show. They're not watching the show at all. And they're trying to make their friends laugh. Exactly. I was like, if anyone should understand that you shouldn't talk it in theory should be the, the comedians that would want the same respect. Yeah. But listen, both you and I know that that's not the way it goes. And both you and I have been the <laughs> ones in the back talking. No, I mean, I've told our, our staff here, our, our door staff, like if you see me talking, 
shut me up. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Half the time I'm just uh, being a, a blatant uh, hypocrite. But half the time it's like a comic is talking to me and I'm just trying to be nice. And I don't want to be like, we need to shut the fuck up. Yeah. So it's nice when you have a Todd who doesn't care. But it's also training your staff. And I'm sure just operationally that the, the uh, festival has evolved in ways to be, make it more conducive so that every show you know, is the best possible experience for the audience and, or not. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean to, well, you know, it's not even about, for me, it's not even about the audience. For me, it's about the comedian. It's like, I, it mortifies me. I, I remember exactly who was on stage the show I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. And the look on his face when he got off stage, I, that haunts me. You know, it's like, like it, he was rattled by it. He had it's to go to Sinbad look of despair. <laughs> Sinbad, I'm assuming has no, Sinbad. Sinbad has no look of despair. That man's <laughs> a beast. He's a beast. I've never seen Sinbad. No, I, I only want to see Sinbad. It's crazy how much he murders. It, it's, it's, it's surprising. Is he in LA? Um, I think he is. Yeah. Listeners. If, if you see Sinbad at the Hollywood improv in the next couple of months, uh, the Genesis was right here it's crazy how much he murders and people love him it's like it's like you know i mean people just light up and like oh sinbad he, he takes <laughs> pictures with everybody he's the he's just the sweetest awesome well is there any any other kind of parting advice you would give comedians or anyone uh trying oh, man, to get involved there's so much i mean you know yeah I, I don't know don't don't be a dick don't talk shit about other comedians you know i mean you see so many young comedians just kind of like, maybe they're trying to fit in or maybe, you know, maybe they just think the way that they're doing it is the way to do it and everything else is crap, but don't talk shit about other comedians. It doesn't help you. Someone else in the room might be friends with them, you know? Um, and it just makes you look like you're young and don't get it yet. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a, that's a good rule and coincides perfectly with my post show or end of show thing that I say, which is to work on your craft endlessly, be a professional, be undeniable and be cool as fuck. Always. Charlie, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me online at jamieflam.com and at jamieflam on Twitter. A very special thanks to the Sideshow Network, the Hollywood Improv, Andrew Steven, Sean Merrick, Roddy Swearingen, and producer Buddy Peace for the awesome music at the top and end of this episode. And be sure to check out hollywood.improv.com for updates on great new shows coming up in the main room and the lab.